0: All right, we're in Ephesians chapter five, verses one through fourteen. Ephesians chapter five, verses one through fourteen. Y'all all right? Y'all all right? You ready for this? We got to walk through the Word, okay? Root it. Ephesians, chapter five. If you got it? Won't you stand your feet with me as we walk through these first fourteen verses? Paul's walking out practically how the Christian should live. So, we're in Ephesians chapter five, verses one through fourteen. If you got it, say "got it" with me. All right, starting. In verse 1, the text reads, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." Therefore, do not become partners. Remember that, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in in secret, but when anything is exposed by light, I love this, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to talk about specifically being imitator of Christ. Can you say that with me? Being an imitator of Christ thats what I want to walk through today. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're an awesome God, and we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. God, I ask simply one prayer right now, that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would be lifted up high in this church, that you would decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, have your way. Speak with my mouth. Think with my mind. And let my ways be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name we said all this, these things. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, as you know, or most of you all know, as you can see, my wife and I, we just had our fifth child. Little man, as I like to call him, love that little guy, and he's right here in the front row. I love every one of my kids, but, you know, thinking on this Mother's Day and just, it's a time for me to reflect even as a dad that having kids is a, it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge undertaking, a huge responsibility to have children. And, and sadly, today in today's society, I think we, we underestimate this. We don't take it serious enough. I mean, you can look at the state of our world with all the fatherlessness or or parents that are in the home but aren't actually really in the home. You know what I mean with that? You see, we we, we don't take it serious. And what happens, here's the problem with that, because children learn everything there is to know or pretty much everything from their parents, whether their parents are in the house or not. Now, what I mean is, I don't know statistics, but you give me a male that has been, that has multiple children with multiple women, I could probably almost guess that his father or the person that's influenced him the most has done the exact same thing. You see, the point is, is that kids imitate their parents. Whether good or bad, they imitate their parents. They learn pretty much everything there is from their parents. And I get to see this on a day-to-day basis with each one of my kids. I love them, but I get to see this. They imitate us. I learned this very early on. My oldest, Ramaya, she's about eight now. And at the time, she was 18 months old. She would walk around and do literally everything I did. She took it all in stride. If I walked a certain way, she started walking that way. If I stuck my tongue out like this, she'd stick her tongue out too. If, if I sat down in a chair, she would muster every little ounce of 18-month strength in her body to try to climb up this chair, and she would sit down and smile. One thing I love, I used to love watching my daughter walk around the house. I don't know how she found them. I didn't give them to him, but she would always find my old cell phones. She found my old cell phones, I back there was a big cell phone and she put it on her head and she would walk around da, 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 just talking and she, you could tell her, you couldn't tell her she wasn't talking to somebody because for her, she was talking to somebody. Even though it was gibberish, she, she knew she had somebody on the other end of the phone. And, and most of the time, she did this while in the bathroom. She was sitting next to the toilet doing it on the bathroom and you know why? Because daddy talked on the phone a lot of times in the bathroom. <laughs> here's a picture of her doing exactly that this is Maya 18 months old sitting next to the toilet on the phone you see but the one I really love about my daughter is how she learned to say excuse me and she learned to say excuse me not because you know she's walking around bumping into people excuse me I'm walking through you know us puckers we kind of diesel strong a little bit you know y'all are diesel strong that that's us so so she, it wasn't because she liked bumping into people. She learned to say, excuse me, because I'm going to be honest with y'all, I pass gas a lot. And when I did it, I would just say, excuse me. So she learned all of a sudden, every time Daddy passed gas, she would look at me and say, excuse me. <laughs> so here, here's a little bit of advice for each one of you all in here. Y'all know who Ramaya is? She was just sitting right here. If you see Remaya next to you, I'm going I'm to give you some advice. Don't try to squeeze one. Don't rip one out quiet. Don't squeeze your cheeks together and let it Y'all know how y'all do. Don't act like you never done it. Because if, if, if she don't hear it, she might smell it. And she's going to look you dead in the eye and say, excuse you. See, Maya, that's my baby. But she literally imitates everything I do to this day. You know why? Because she's learning how to be an individual in this life. She's learning how to grow. She, she, and, and here's the other thing, I've been good to her. And I'm her daddy. So in essence, in return, she wants to be like me. She wants to be just like me. And as we look at this text, the point I'm trying to get at is that as we call ourselves believers, those that believe in Jesus Christ, we're called, like my daughter, to be and imitate our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ. Because not only has He been good to us, but He's also lived the life that we have lived. The, the life He's calling us to live, He's lived that life. So we're called to imitate Him. We're called to walk like Him, we're called to talk like Him, we're called to feel like Him, we're called to praise like Him, we're called to do all things like Him. But see, the problem is, is that we don't really imitate Christ. We don't imitate Christ. We tend to imitate something or someone else. We put them in that limelight and that's what we tend to imitate. And if it's not imitating someone else, we try to be Christ. And what I mean is be a savior, try to handle everything on our own and just throw him out the door. And what ends up happening is that we end up miserable. We end up lost, we end up lonely, we end up fearful, fall on our own or or someone else's truth, tolerant of everything, or just simply wanting more in this life. Look at the text. He doesn't say, Be me. He says, Imitate me. Imitate God. And this is important. It's important as we walk through today because anything that you imitate that is not of Christ, as you see in the passage, is darkness. Paul is talking to believers and he's saying, stop following those who walk in darkness and instead walk in the light. Imitate Christ. So today, I want to simply talk about that. What what does it mean? What does it look like to imitate Christ? Amen? Amen. As we jump into the text today, Paul begins saying this word, therefore, again. He says this many times and what that means is that he's continuing a thought from the preceding verses. See, it's the same context of where he's talking to this new diversity of believers in, in Ephesus where he just told them to walk in unity and the newness of life. He, he says, be imitators of Christ and walk in love. Now, as I, I said in the beginning, Christians are called to imitate their Heavenly Father by living a life of love as Christ did when he gave himself up on the cross. Now, don't misinterpret this, though. This does not mean live a life like a slave trying to imitate Christ, but instead like a child who imitates their loving father, imitates their parents because he's been so good to them, they really want to be like him. You're not performing trying to imitate, trying to gain some approval or or some kind of wage earned because Christ already did that on the cross. So every time you try to work for something, you're literally hanging him back on the cross saying your death was not enough for me. Christ did everything needed to be done on the cross for us to be reconciled to the Father. There's no performing that needs to happen. But instead, we imitate Christ like children imitating their good, good father. But in saying walk in love, Paul tells believers in verse one through seven that walking in love, hear me, hear me clearly, does not mean just go partner with anyone. Let me say that again. Walking in love does not mean go partner with anyone, especially those that say or think immorality is okay. And immorality, for this matter, is anything opposed to the word of God and what it says in here. So, Paul, still speaking in the context of unity and love, to others, he says, Look, look, look. I know I told you to love everybody, go out and love your neighbor, but don't get it twisted. That does not mean become best friends and go out and love everybody and anybody sacrificing who you are. So in order to further explain this, Paul begins to walk through how Christians should conduct themselves as imitators of Christ. Now, hear me, y'all. He doesn't cover everything, which is why it's important to know the word of God, what it says about God, what is of God and what is not. So if you're here and you don't hear me call out sin, your sin that you might be dealing with or something like that, don't think that Paul is not talking about you. Okay, you see, sometimes we're like, well, we can squeeze it around the text that it didn't actually say mine. No, 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 no. He's talking about immorality here. Okay, he's talking about sin. Period. All right, you guys with me? All right. He begins in verse three by saying, all sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness must not even be named. That emphasis on named among the saints. Now, when he says sexual immorality here, the Greek word is actually pronounced porneia. And you got to talk about that word. That's where do we get our word porn. That's where it comes from. But this word means much, much more than the English language gives it right here. It's talking about all sexual sins. Adultery, fornication, which is sex before marriage, homosexuality, porn addiction, bestiality, you can go on down the line, Every, anything sexual when dealing with, whether it's dealing with identity or action outside of the proper biblical marital covenant of a man and a woman. Now, I don't have time to labor through all of those sexual sins and the things that Paul is ta- talking about in this word porneia. But last year, if you're interested in knowing our view as a church on a lot of these different issues, you can go back to the sixth series we preached last year. If you're interested in what we think, what we believe with the LGBTQ community or sex before marriage, whatever it may be, you can go back. I want to invite you to listen to that series, the sixth series, where we answer a lot of those questions from you all here in our church. But what I don't want you to miss is the premise of what Paul is actually talking about here in this text. Don't get get caught up in that and miss what he's saying here. Paul is getting at at this fact that sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, which is this simple longing of someone else's possessions, whether that be their wife or, or husband or their money, their success, it's this coveting of something you don't have. He says it should not be named among Christians. You know why? Because these are public sins. Public sins that don't necessarily just dishonor you, but they dishonor honor God. And here's the thing, and this is why I say that, because anybody that picks up the Word of God, literate, that, that can read, that's literate Can open us up and read scriptures like we just read right here, or Romans 1, where Paul is listing off this huge list of sins. And then they can look at a person's life that claims to be a Christian and and say, Why would I want to follow Christ when you say Christ has been so good to you and he saved you, but yet you do not honor God with your life? See, it goes back to who are we imitating? Who are we imitating? This is why most people call Christians hypocrites. I'm gonna be real. I'm going to go there this morning. Because we say we believe in this big God that has been so, so good to us. But then we turn around and instead of honoring him with our lives and living for him, we choose to live the way we want to or what we think is best, what we feel is right. Now, you tell me why anybody would want to be associated with Christianity when the so-called Christian that's supposed to be following Christ is not following Christ. I mean, why would I, as a non-believer, be compelled or convinced to believe in someone who doesn't change me or make me better? Because when I look at Christians today, Jesus ain't working. So why, why, why should I follow him? Because it seems like it's pointless. Which is why many people say, forget Jesus. Forget Jesus. And I will just do my own thing. I'll make it uh, my my own way. And again, you know why? Because many Christians who are supposed to exemplify Christ... Have chosen to make their lives what they want them to look like what they feel is right instead of what God wants we choose to do I mean in everything in our world today we it feels this way to me so I want it to be this way that that I read the Word of God and that just didn't feel right so I can't be right we choose to trust ourselves more than God yeah, maybe y'all didn't give it. See, Christians will look at passages like this. I'm talking to Christians. We'll look at passages like this. And we'll say, well, man, Paul, he says a lot of things very explicit. But he really doesn't explicitly say that fornication or sex before marriage is wrong. He doesn't explicitly say that, so man, it's economically okay. It's better for us if I move in with my, my husband-to-be or we, we love each other, so we might as well live together. It's okay. We're going to be each other. No, 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 no. That's not, he, he does hit that. Uh, he doesn't specifically say homosexuality. So, so, we, so what we do is we, we start to validate or misconstrue the words of the Bible, the text here, to what we feel is right. And by doing so, we think we're being more tolerant. We think. Being more tolerant or considerate. And in actuality, more people are turned off because if the Christian, the person that's supposed to be following God's word, can't live by the word of God, then why should anybody else? I remember when I was in uh, high school. I wasn't a believer at the time. I knew a little bit about the Bible, but I wasn't, believe- I could read this Bible. I was actually in a pulpit of 16, open up the word. I didn't know Jesus, but I could read it and tell you what it said, but, but I didn't know him. So there was this person in school, was a girl in our school, everybody got one of these folks that, Jesus this, Jesus that, they're always talking about Jesus. And I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do any of these things, I don't date guys that do. She used to say all these things, but then I would look at her life and I'm like, you're the meanest girl in the school. I mean, would drop, at the drop of a hat, curse somebody out, snap on them, get mad at them. And I'm like, man, I'm scratching my head because I don't know Jesus like you say you do, but I, I know enough to know that what you call you, you're not a Christian. So that was the main reason, big, one of the biggest reasons I did not become a Christian at a young age. Because I'm looking at all these people that say they're Christians and I'm like, man, I cannot stand these hypocritical ways. I can read and tell you that that's not what it says. Family, what I'm trying to get at today is as we jump into this text and we're walking through this list, It's going to probably make you a little uncomfortable if it hasn't already. But what I want you to guard against is twisting the word of God to fit what you feel is right. And take God at his word. Take him at his word, trust him, stand on it firmly, even when it's totally contrary to what society tells you. God's word has stood the test of time For millennials, thousands of years, not just 10, thousands of years, it's been the same. It stood the test of time, which means that it's not about to stop right now. It's not. Paul says, don't let sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness be named among you. In other words, he's saying, these are not qualities that Christians should be known for. Don't let it be named among you. He keeps moving and he says, no filthiness or foolishness or crude joking, but instead thanksgiving. Paul here is beating that same drum that I beat last week. The fact that when we operate from this place of understanding that that we're thankful for all that God has done in and through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for us. When we understand all that he's done on our behalf, then what happens is we naturally counteract all the foolishness and the filthiness in our life and, and the crude talking, the crude joking, simply because you want to honor God with all of your life because he's been so good to you. Again, this isn't performance. This isn't performance trying to earn something or pretending, making yourself better than what you actually are. That's not what this is. But instead, you're simply understanding Jesus went through a lot for me. He died for me on the cross. He gave his life up for me. And in doing so, now in the midst of my sin, knowing how sinful I am, I'm yet loved. And so we operate from this place of being loved but yet sinful. And it drives the way we lead our lives. Paul, he keeps going and he intensifies these verses by saying in verse 5, look at it with me. He says that anybody who is sexually immoral, impure or covetous, which is an idolater... Because they're simply serving someone else or themselves, they've made someone higher than God or something higher than God. It's idolatry. He says that they will have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, these aren't my words, these are Paul's words. This is this is the word of God. Again, Paul in these verses is talking about the person who doesn't see anything wrong with these things. Or, in other words, not really a believer. They will not inherit the kingdom of God, it says, or or, or heaven. Paul says they will surely not be in the kingdom of heaven. So to the Christian, look at verse 6. He says these words. Pay attention. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived with empty words. In essence, saying, don't be tricked. Don't be tricked into believing the way of the wicked is th- th- that's better or it's okay. I know it may seem like they're prevailing, they're flourishing. Look, look destruction may come. It, 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 it's not better. Don't be deceived. It says don't be tricked into believing everything you see on TV or what you feel is right. It, it's right all the time. Don't, don't be deceived because the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. Now, hear me. Hear me on this because this is important. When he says sons of disobedience, he's referring to people who walk habitually in sin, who make a habit out of sin, who continually rebel against God, who make their way the way. And hear me, family. There's a big difference between falling or failing to sin every now and again, and or uh, uh, between that or making a habit out of sin, and then rationalizing it or validating it. There, there's a big difference there. There's a big difference from struggling well with sin, like you're walking through this life, or just, just straight up failing. There's a big difference between those two. You see the difference there? And see, here's the problem. Some of us are out here just straight up validating and rationalizing our sin and just continually failing. And, and Paul's talking right here. He said, that's not Christian. It's not Christian. Like I said last week, the person, hear me, y'all, the person who is truly saved is not able to fully be consumed with sin and consumed with God all at the same time without being grieved or convicted. There's no way. It's not possible. Now, hear me, because if you're in that place where you're saying, I believe, but I'm not bothered by my sin. It doesn't really convict me. I'm not bothered by my sin. Or you can rationalize, you can validate what it, what it is. Hear me, you're in a very dangerous place. Either you never were saved in the first place, or you've, be, you've fallen so deep into Satan's clutches that he's, he, he's got you to a place where you feel like you're unworthy to be with God. You're nothing to him. Or, or you're at this place where you just simply think you know better than God. You don't need him. You got everything you need in yourself. Hear me. All of those places are very dangerous. This is why Paul says in the next verse, don't partner with the sons of disobedience. Don't partner with the sons of disobedience because you cannot, hear me family, you cannot be a Christian and truly have a deep or intimate relationship or friendship with someone who's not running for God like you. Here's the reason why. Here's the reason why, because if you're a Christian, you, it's, it's really hard to have that deep relationship with somebody who's not running for Christ like you are. And here's the reason why, because, because there's always a ceiling. There's always only so far you can go with them. To where you agree or not. And, and the reason is, if you can go past that, somebody now is sacrificing their morals or their beliefs to get to the other person. All right, some of y'all didn't get that, so right, let me come closer to your neighborhood a little bit more. The re- this is why dating, we're going to talk about, it, that's why dating someone as a Christian, as a believer... This is why it's very hard for you to to date somebody. This is why I say it's not okay to date somebody who's not a believer like you are. Because somewhere along the line, whether they come to Christ or do not, you are going to destroy your relationship with God. Don't believe me? Ask my wife after church. I was a heathen running around town doing whatever I wanted to do, when I wanted to, how I felt like, whatever I felt like doing, that's what I wanted to do. And in the long run, it destroyed her relationship with God. Now God saved me, but it destroyed her in the process. And if it had not been by the grace of God, we through through many breakups and, and, and makeups and all these different things in the process, if it wasn't his grace, we would not be here today. Y'all don't believe me. We had four engagements. I did not stutter. That means we had three broken engagements. Three, and the fourth one, we made it happen. Now, it was, it's a testimony now, but it surely wasn't in the, in the process. What I'm trying to tell you is don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You're sacrificing something that God didn't tell you to sacrifice. Christian in here, surround yourself, hear me, with folks that will build you up and challenge you. People who will ask you hard questions. Because they love you more and they want you to be like Christ. People who want you to look more like Jesus even when you don't want to look like him. Hear me, be aware and intentional and about who you surround yourself with. It's key to your walk with Christ. Now hear me, this does not mean be stuck up and act like you can't talk to anybody. That's not what this passage is talking about. Paul definitely tells us to go out and Jesus tells us to do the same. Love your neighbor. Love those who do not know Christ. Love them. But hear me, that does not mean that you need to become best friends or really intimate friends with them and sacrifice who you are in order to be close to them. That's not what he's talking about here. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus crossed lines to meet people exactly where they are, but hear me, he never left or or let go of his message of grace and truth. In essence, he never forgot who he was or who he served. He never left that behind. Paul says, therefore, do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. And then says, for you were saved from darkness. Basically, my man Paul is saying, he's pointing back to chapters one through four and he's saying, remember, Christian, remember, hear me, all that Christ did for you. Remember how he pulled you up out of the muck and the mire, how he saved you and how he gave you hope when you had no hope. Remember, Christian, how he saved you from the penalty of your sin, which was death. Remember, Christian, and now he's, he, he's changing you and bringing you now into the newness of life. Remember, he says, therefore, be active and walk as children in the light. Paul is basically saying, don't you dare forget. Don't forget and start turning back to your your old ways and and who you were before Christ. Don't turn back to yourself, which got you into the mess that you had to get saved out of. Don't don't go backwards. Walk in the light. Don't, Don't forget and be enticed by your feelings or what you see. And dishonor Jesus, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know she got a body like a Coke bottle. But she's not yours, so don't take a drink. I know, I know for my ladies in here, that boy fine like Morris Chestnut or, 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 or Channing Tatum with all the hair slicked back. But he ain't your mocha latte or vanilla latte, so don't take a sip. I know it's very, it's very enticing to take that next step up the ladder at your work. Let me ask you, what are you going to have to sacrifice at home to do so? I know you can walk out these doors. You can do whatever you want today. But what is it going to cost you tomorrow in your relationship with Jesus? Paul says don't forget and walk as children In the light in verses 9 and 10 he further explains himself and he says walk in this light trying to discern what is pleasing to God and in that light there is fruit in verse 9 look at it he says that that if you walk in the light the fruit is good it's right and it's true see because here's the truth and some of y'all have heard this before maybe from when your mom your mom or your dad they tell you if, you if you walk in, whoever you are with, it's like what you put in you, it, it becomes you. They, they tell you that, that you are the company that you keep. You ever heard any of that from your parents? They used to tell me that all the time and they were kind of right too because if I hung out with the thugs on the block, I wanted to be a thug. If I hung out with the athletes, I really wanted to be an athlete. I still to this day think I'm the best dude on the court. You see, if I listen to rap music all the time, Then I found myself trying to dress like them as well as trying to act like them and talk like them. And Paul is saying, Christian, beware, because you are kind of what you put into. You keep on hanging with these folks. That's what's going to end up becoming you. That's what you're going to become. He says, instead of hanging with those folks that you know are doing wrong things, walk in the light. It's not really that complicated what he's saying here. He's pretty simple. Walk in the light. He says in verse 11. Once again, to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And this time he says, instead, expose them. Expose them. And see if we're honest, family, I think this is where a lot of us have trouble. This is where we have trouble. Because we're too afraid or concerned with how people will perceive us if we expose darkness. We're too afraid to call out sin, so instead, we become tolerant of everything and lean on our own feelings instead of the word of God. Can we talk about it? Okay, y'all, y'all don't believe me. Okay, some of us in here have friends that are this way, that say, it's girlfriends, your girl, and you know, y'all been girls since a Cadillac with four flats sitting on, sitting on bricks. That was y'all. You go way back and... She comes to you and she's like, girl, we just moved in together. You know, we're sleeping together. I love this man. He loves me. And your heart just drops inside of you. And you want to tell her, girl, if he really loved you, then he would honor you and he would would love God more, which means that he would honor your body and his body and he would wait till marriage. But instead you say nothing. Or you look at me and say, girl, y'all crazy. And inside you're like, man, I'm crazy. I wish I would have said something. I know, I know it's Mother's Day. Y'all not amening me today because it's Mother's Day and y'all thought it was going to be some kind of fluffy message today, right? And that's not really what we do here at Renewal. And here's the truth. I really, we're walking through this passage. I really want you all to know and love Jesus Christ with all of you. I want you to run after him and honor him with your whole lives. It means we got to preach on the hard stuff. And besides that, mama's in here. If, if your mama's like mine, she's the best at calling me out in my mess. So they probably appreciate stuff like this. Mama's amen if you're with me. Okay, well, maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're in here and you say, well, my, my friends don't deal with fornication. That's not what they do. Well, Maybe you're sitting at the table with your friend and you know they deal with drinking alcohol. And instead of foregoing the drink, you have a drink, they have a drink, and y'all keep drinking together. And afterwards, you feel horrible inside. You feel horrible inside. And see, see here, here's the thing, and hear me on this, family. When we fail to speak truth or expose darkness as Christians, we try to cover it as if we, we did not say anything in order to not turn someone away. That's, that's what we say. We say, I did this for them not to turn them away. I didn't want them to feel a certain way about me. But hear me, it really has nothing to do with the other person because that person's in darkness. They really have no idea what they're doing. You know the light, which knows that you got the truth to tell them, but you choose not to tell them anything. So, therefore, you're really not loving them. And you know what it was really about? It's about us. It's about us because we don't want them to think ill of us. So, we don't speak truth. And friends, this is nothing new under the sun. Apostle Peter, one of the 12, he failed at this. Galatians chapter 2, he's eating with the Gentiles. He's sitting there at the table with them, and they're smashing some food. They're having a good old time. As long as the, the Jewish folks don't come in, the circumcision, the, the original folks, as long as they don't walk through, my man Peter is sitting here and he's eating. He's having a good old time with them. They're having a great time. but as soon as the Jews walk in, he's like, I don't know them. Why are you eating my food? He's faking it. He he pulls away from them like he doesn't know them. What he really should have told them was that, no, no, now that they believe in Christ, Christ has made a way for all people to be reconciled to God. But he doesn't say anything. He just shrinks back and says, I don't know them. And my man Paul walks up, says, Peter, you're sinning in front of everybody, rebukes him. See, family, Paul is, he said, not only walk in the light but expose darkness. And you may be saying, well, pastor, it's hard to walk this life out. It's it's hard to live like Jesus when nobody else is. It's hard to speak truth and not be judgmental or the only one doing it. It's hard. And my friend, hear me. This is why when you look at this passage, Paul says, walk in the light walk in the light. He doesn't say walk in your strength. He says walk in the light. And we know that according to John chapter one, Jesus is the true light of the world that overcame the world. So therefore Paul is saying walk in Jesus because he can handle it. Okay, y'all missed that. Let me put it this way, my daughter Isabel, she's my third child, I love my baby girl she's really like me in a lot of ways, very persistent, athletic, all of that good stuff, and she, and, and it's bad stuff to that too, but that's Isabel, she's just like me. And I was talking to her one night, and I'm like, Izzy, because she's dealing with darkness, she's scared of the dark right now, and I said, look, what do you do when you're afraid of the dark? And as a pastor, I'm expecting her to say some kind of real spiritual thing, like, I just pray, Daddy, that Jesus would cover me with the blood of the Lamb, and I'd be safe all night long, I'm gonna be okay. And she looks at me dead in my face with her eyes and says, I just turn on my flower light. I said, What? Flower light? And see, if you've been in my house. I had to start thinking about this because if, you, if you've been in my house, you've seen that room at all, some of y'all have been there, there's a flower light that sits high upon the wall. We have like 15, 16-foot ceilings and, and, and it's sitting way up on the wall so when you turn the flower light on, it lights up the whole room. Y'all gonna miss this if you don't listen. See, my daughter, when she's afraid, she turns to a light hung high up on her wall. She said, Daddy, when it's dark, I just turn to the light." She says, Daddy, when when it's dark and I can't handle it, I don't rely on anything I have. I just turn to the light. See, some of y'all are missing this. Here's the truth. I got to tell you about this. About 2,000 years ago, there was a guy that hung on the cross, the true light of the world that was high above everything around him to where anybody could look on him and be saved if they believe. See, it's a light that shines in the midst of darkness. It's a light that saves people. It's a light that gives confidence to the fearful. It's a light that gives rest to the weary. It's a light that gives security to the insecure. Shall I keep going? Paul is saying that like my daughter, the only way to expose darkness is to turn to and then walk in the light. But I know why some of y'all are not amen in this morning. It ain't just because we're a Renewal Church. Because you've heard that message before. And it's not enough for you to know that there's a light uh, or Jesus hung on a cross for you 2,000 years ago. So so, so let me come to your neighborhood a little bit more. Let me, follow me in this text, because Paul keeps going, he's gonna come to you. He says in verse 13, he says when anything, watch this, he says when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible in verse 14 he says for anything that becomes visible is light thus saying that there is nothing that the light can't handle y'all missed it It says there's nothing that the light can't handle or turn from darkness to light y'all still missing this And, and since we know the light is Jesus Paul is really saying that there is no darkness that Jesus can't handle. There's no hardened heart out there that that Jesus can't handle. So hear me, Christian in here, that it is now devaluing or or diminishing truth, trying to win somebody to Christ. You don't need to do that. Jesus can handle it. There's no dark place that Jesus can't handle. Some of us walked in here this morning in some very dark places. Whether that be spiritually or just what's happening outside of you, we're in places this morning where we're hurting. And Paul is saying, look, Jesus can handle it. He can handle it. Now, friends, I'm telling you all that Jesus can handle and that he can handle everything. Because, again, when we're looking at this text or text like this, some of us in here right now probably feel this immense amount of pressure to change yourself, or someone else. So hear me, and I need you to hear me clearly, because Paul starts chapter 5 a certain way on purpose. He begins by saying, be imitators of God. Again, he doesn't say, be God. He says, be an imitator of God. Then he says, walk in love. He doesn't say be love. According to 1 Corinthians 13, God is love. He says walk as children of the light. He doesn't say that you need to be the light by yourself because as we just looked at John chapter 1, Jesus is the light. Christian, hear me. This walk was never meant to be walked alone without community or total reliance on God. Or else... Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. So don't feel overwhelmed. Don't walk in, just walk in confidence is what Paul's trying to get at. Walk in confidence and freedom. That doesn't mean you won't deal with these things, but continually remind yourself to walk in confidence and freedom knowing that you serve a God who has already overcome the world. Which means that we can walk through this life here on earth Not not trying to re-overcome the world because he's already done it. He says, just imitate me, which in turn points more people to Christ. He says, know that I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us in the good and the bad times. He says, I got you. John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Therefore, Christian, you are not alone, but you walk with Jesus, the true life, who has over, overcome the darkness, the light that's overcome the darkness. And with all this, Paul ends by saying, I love these words. He says, awake, O sleeper, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Family, Paul is saying to the Christian, you know who the true light is. You know who he is. So by knowing him, now turn and follow him. Stop being bogged down by darkness or sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, trials, tribulations, trying to fit in, uh, trying to be somebody else's savior or sacrificing your morals and belief to be with somebody. But instead, turn to Christ for he's all you need. He's all you need. Therefore, he says to the believer, walk in him. Imitate his ways. Speak truth and walk in the light. And know that you are not alone and the darkness can never overcome the light. So to believer in here today, let's be imitators of God that walk in the light. And to the one that's struggling with Christianity, I pray that you would turn, like my daughter, and believe in the light that was hung high for us on a cross, died the death that we should have died, a light that never goes out but has stood the test of time, a light that's still there today, which means that that same saving power that Jesus had on the cross years ago is the same power that's still alive and at work today in order if we believe and still be saved today. Amen.